Hey, it's our first off-season edition of Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, we'll review where the Bills exceeded expectations in 2022 and where improvements might be needed. We'll also have three things to know about the Super Bowl. Hey, how did we get to the end of the season already? Glad you could join us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you. And we open with the Bills season that was. The 2022 campaign is now in the books. And we begin where we feel the Bills met expectations. And we're talking performance-wise here because we know a lot of outside observers had the Bills as a Super Bowl favorite, and they didn't get that far. But in terms of performance, where do you feel the Bills met or maybe even exceeded expectations? Well, statistically they did. 13-3 uh, and three on the regular season. Top one or two offense. They scored more points than anybody except Kansas City in the entire season. Uh, defensively, they were another top five unit. Um, they overcame a lot more adversity with a more difficult schedule this year mm -hmm. than they did a year ago. Um, they were a really good football team, and it ended up they had a pretty tough schedule. Didn't know if it was going to be that way at the beginning of the season, but man, oh man. Uh, Von Miller got hurt. All these guys got hurt. You lost Micah. You lost Jordan Poyer for a minute. Yeah. You lost Micah for the season week two. Uh, some great players, and then Tredavious White came back. Wasn't himself. Didn't even play until Thanksgiving. Um, it, there was a lot working against them this year, going through the entire season up until this time, the last two years before this in 20 and 21, they were virtually healthy in the entire season. This year, not so much. And they overcame all of it to a 13 and three record. And in the three losses of that season, there were by a total of eight points. And there were game stopping plays that the Bills failed to make, execute that would have won those three games. They were an incredibly sound and good talented football team they played like it yeah. uh at the end of the season they overcame the demar hamlin incident in cincinnati they struggled to beat a patriot team in week 18 they had to get two kickoff return touchdowns to beat the patriots who were horrible offensively you could tell that the team was not the same team after the demar incident they came back again uh and beat the miami dolphins in the wild card round of the playoff almost got beat by skylar thompson you could tell they just weren't the same team. And, of course, when they, they faced the team that they had faced in the DeMar Hamlin incident, it was like PS, PTSD. Yeah. I mean, they, they couldn't even they, – they struggled to even line up. Um, a, a really tough end to a season that had so much promise and so many things that were out of their control, I think, conspired uh, to make it impossible for them to advance past the divisional round um, this year. So um, they, they really, really overcame a lot of things in the regular season, but the final blow – uh, at the end of the season, warm out to the point where they couldn't play as a fresh unit going into the playoffs, and I think it cost them. I would say they exceeded expectations on offense as a unit. I thought with a new coordinator and veteran subtractions in the receiving core, I was worried they might take a step back. While Gabe Davis might not have adequately ascended into the number two receiver role and Isaiah McKenzie was unable to fill the slot receiver role as hoped, the offense as a whole performed at or better than last year's offense, to your point, which to me is saying something, considering you had a first-year play caller in Ken Dorsey who had never done it before, 
and no viable, consistent replacement for Cole Beasley or Emmanuel Sanders this season. They were second in total offense this year. Last year, they were fifth. They were seventh in passing yards per game. Last year, they were ninth. They were second in first downs per game. Last year, they were fourth. They were first in third down conversion percentage this year. Last year, they were third. And they were second in scoring, and last year, they were third. The offense did all of that this season, as you said, against a much tougher schedule than they had last season. So while I know the offense probably did get a bit too Josh-centric this season, it was still more productive with less dependable weapons against a tougher slate of opponents this year than last year. So, yeah, uh, offense to me met or exceeded expectations with less to work with against more difficult opponents. To me, that's exceeding expectations. I agree. Next up, where did the Bills fall short? of expectations this season where maybe they didn't meet the standard. There's only one spot for me. Certainly they turned the football over way too much. That was their Achilles heel this year, turning the football over. And I'll say this too, and this speaks to their exit out of the playoffs. Um, Every exit they've had up to this point under Sean McDermott uh, into the playoffs, they have to play well on that playoff game day. They have to play well on that day. There were crit and it, and it also, translated into moments where the games, the three games they lost in the regular season, exact same thing. Yeah. In critical, pressure-packed, time-constrained moments in games, they fail to execute because it feels like they're doing the wrong thing. Uh, In the Miami game, week three this last season, Isaiah McKenzie tries to get out of bounds, and they can't spike the ball before they they run out of time. Instead of putting his foot in the ground, going forward five yards to get in the field goal range, going down, giving the ball the official, they would have had time to get that ball spotted and spike it with a second left and give Tyler Bass a chance to win that game. Uh, Obviously, we've been over and over the Minnesota Vikings game. There were two game stoppers in that game where they wouldn't have gone to overtime at all, and they couldn't execute either one of those. And, and, you know, of course, in in years past, it's been the exact same thing. The 13-second game, of course, the 16-point lead at the end of the Houston game, they couldn't execute to get it done. Moment after – it's just small moments that are are really – it's hard to anticipate – Having 13 seconds defensively with they've got three timeouts, that kind of thing. It's hard to anticipate having to execute a quarterback sneak on your own half-yard line for no gain to win a game. It's those kind of execution moments that are impossible to prepare for, but you've got to execute in those moments. That's where they have, have failed consistently and cost themselves games. And it's in those moments. They're so good. It's in these moments where uh, – just executing the play that you call, you know, knocking yeah. the pass down on fourth and 18 against Minnesota by, by Cam Lewis. He tried to p- pick it off and ends up helping the guy catch it. You lose the game. Uh, that's where I think they continue to fall short, and it seems to be the Achilles heel for this team. And I'll say it's a very small Achilles heel, but it's very costly. Yeah. I would say defensively there was a drop-off when it came to pass defense. I think a big part of that was who they were without. They were – there were a handful of games where they did not have Poyer, Hyde, and White in their secondary all at the same time, and it showed. I think there was a slow transition to getting Kyir Elam on the field as their second quarterback. I think it stunted his growth in his rookie season, and I think it only happened because of the absence of the veterans we just mentioned. 
had there been a healthy Poyer and a healthy Hyde on the field, I think Leslie Frazier would have been much more comfortable to throw Elam in the deep end of the pool sooner rather than later because he knew he had those guys as security blankets to get Elam lined up right. Hey, keep an eye out for this. This is coming. And I think he might have started Elam sooner rather than later. But in their absence, I think Dane Jackson's experience left less for DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson at the time to worry about on the outside. They could just focus on you know, their own responsibilities. In hindsight, it might have been better to let Elam take his lumps out there early and weather the storm, knowing he'd be better for it in the second half of the season. For me, though, the pass defense was the Achilles heel. After being the number one pass defense a year ago, they finished 15th, the lowest ranking since 2017 when they finished 20th. And while it didn't hurt the Bills much when it came to points allowed, when they where they finished second this year, by the way, it did leave them out on the field longer, and I think it was why they finished 17th in first downs allowed when the year prior they were first in the league in that category. Their pass rush was a part of that problem. I don't think we can debate that. After averaging 2.7 sacks per game with Von Miller in the lineup this year, it dropped to two sacks per game when he was lost for the season on Thanksgiving with the knee injury over the final five regular season games. So knowing that the vast majority of outside observers, Steve, believe the Bengals and Chiefs are ahead of the Bills in terms of roster makeup, where do the Bills have to improve from a personnel perspective to make up whatever ground they lost to the two teams that went further in the AFC playoffs than they did? Well, first of all, they've got to replace the players they're losing to free agents. The, the, the unrestricted free agents have to be replaced with guys who are as good or better than the guys they're losing. Uh, some some pretty significant losses. You know, Tremaine Edmonds, of course, is one of them. Um, they've got to get refurbish their roster the way they've done it. And we were in the same – I think the Bills were in the same situation, close to it, a year ago, although probably they were right at the cap, maybe a little over the cap, not too far. But this year they're significantly over, $16 million yeah. over. So it's the same situation that they had last year with the roster and how to refurbish it going forward with free agents and draft picks. They've got to do that again. They do not need to change the philosophy that they have used to build this roster, meaning when free agency comes, refurbish it with quality free agents, middle-of-the-road guys, get them, give them on one-year deals or short-term deals where they're highly motivated to hit another home run on a contract after they play well for the Bills, that kind of thing. And then get to the point of the draft where – Pick the best player available. And I know people are very vocal about needing a number one receiver to, to complement Steph Diggs or getting a big-time pass rusher. The Bills are picking 27th. You take the best player available. And I, it doesn't matter if it's a guard, a center, a tackle, or a corner. you got to take the best player who's going to be the best player for you. Your team will be better. So they should fill the holes in their roster during free agency and then draft the best player available in the draft. They don't need to change whatever they're doing right now. Certainly if they go into the into the uh, season with the same cast of characters as their wide receivers, people will be very hesitant to do it. But some of the issues we had with the wide receivers had as much to do with it wasn't talent, it was catching the ball yeah, uh, and interceptions and turning it over. Those things are fixable. Uh, but the talent level, I don't think people should overreact to a game that ended the season in Cincinnati where the team wasn't itself to begin with. I think in an, 
trying to understand from the outset that the Bills are dealing with a prohibitive cap situation, you know, going into, you know, we're still a month out from free agency and stuff. They're 20 million over and they're going to have to make some adjustments to get under number one. And then number two, create space just to be able to sign their, maybe a couple of their own free agents and others out there on the market. So I think in an ideal world, they improve the talent on the offensive line. Mitch Morris and Deion Dawkins are probably the two most talented in that group right now. With a difficult cap situation, they might be forced to draft offensive line talent to find upgrades or find better value than maybe an expensive vet like Roger Saffold knowing money's going to be tight. Like Roger Saffold, even if he takes the veteran minimum, it's going to be a lot of money Like because he's played 12, 13 years. Right. Uh, even, well, I guess you could do the veteran exemption, but that's another story for another day. There will also need to be more reliable week-to-week producers in the passing game, whether you add a couple of receivers via the draft or trade and perhaps add a tight end from what's expected to be a deep draft class at that position. I really felt like Josh missed his safety valve option in the passing game this past year that Beasley was the last couple of seasons. And it affected the efficiency of the passing game as a whole because he felt he had to get it all in one play instead of just taking those checkdowns more often. I think it was because of a lack of the confidence in the guys that were running those routes. Uh, evidence of that came in this number that I uncovered, Steve. Three of the highest third down distances in terms of number of plays on the season on third down for the Bills, okay? The down and distance they faced on third down. This season, more than any other, third and 10, third and seven, third and nine. There were more third down plays at those distances than any of the others. So even though they were still first in the league in third down conversion rate, they relied on a lot of Josh Allen magic to succeed on third down, and it should not have been that hard. And I think it was a byproduct of him not taking some of those checkdowns because either the guys underneath, he didn't trust him, they didn't get enough separation consistently, or they didn't catch the ball consistently enough. So it was an interesting number to see that. Third and 10, third and seven, third and nine. They had more plays on those third down and distances than any other. And let me tell you, third and 11 to 15 was tied for fourth. That's not good. Yeah, that's it's hard. You got to be more efficient. It's hard to pick up. You need to do better on early downs. Um, No question about it. And we, you know, we talked about it, and and it did appear, particularly late in the season, um, in those last couple games, that they were really trying to hit the home run a little too much. And we've seen, you know, you watched the All Twenty Two, and certainly we. This was the case even when I was playing Jim Kelly, and you saw it with Dan Marino, you see it with Boomer, and you see it with Boomer Sias, and you see it with John Elway. Some of those guys, you just, they just miss the outlet. They just don't see it because it's on the other side of the field. They're looking this way, and they're, trying to, and they're waiting on it. They think it's going to happen. By that time, it's too late. They either have to throw it or they don't have time to come down, find the guy, and throw it. Uh, on film, you see, you see it, and it's just something you have to have in your head and learn that you're going to have to say, listen, that's it. i got to take the check down. And you're right. If a quarterback – has success doing that, they do it more. Yeah. And they didn't have that much success doing it, even when he threw it. 
so he, you know, I, I think Josh, I think the, just the decision was made. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fit this in there and make, let my guy make a, cha- make a play on it. It's a hard way to live, though, it because is very it's, not, it's not it's a low high percentage, percentage play. It's low percentage. Yeah, they're gonna, they got to fix that because they'll be an even better offense if they do. They were, they It'll were be hard at, to get off the field. They were great offense. Don't kid yourself. They were a great offense were. this year. They were a load this year. And you can say, well, it was all Josh. He counts. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta, they got to defend him. And if you can get Josh and the rest of them to help Josh more, which they can, there were options there. There were throws to be made. There were decisions to be made. And there were balls that should have been caught that were not. Yeah. All of that stuff in the mix – you, there's n- there, you don't have to throw any of this stuff out. Yeah, uh, you just have to. And I, I'll never forget this. Peyton Manning was in the league eight years before they won the Super Bowl. Eight years. Yeah. And after the fifth or sixth or seventh, Tony Dungy, they were they were starting to clamor in Indianapolis about doing something different. And Tony Dungy's response was this, and I, and it was brilliant. He says, "Listen, we just need to keep doing what we're doing, but we need to do it better." And that's where the Bills are. It's frustrating for fans to sit there and suffer through it, but they're in the spot they're in for a reason, and you can't forget that. I think the prevailing opinion that I would get from fans during the season is, hey, look, we know the offense is good, but why does it just seem so hard? Why does it seem like such a heavy lift? And I think it, it points to this. Third and 10, third and seven, third and nine, those were the down and distances they were in more often than any other play on third down this season. And fourth, tied for fourth, was third and 11 to 15. So, yeah, I mean, if they can just be more efficient there, it won't look as difficult and it won't be as heavy a lift for this offense going forward. With that in mind, last part of this topic of conversation, for the offense going forward, Steve, whose skill set is the most encouraging heading yeah. into 2023. I think there's a lot of people that would tell you James Cook is that the one for them. I, for me, I think it's Khalil Shakir. Yeah. Um, he, to me, never disappointed when he was out there. Um, he certainly lacks some, you know, the breakaway speed. He's not an Isaiah McKenzie fast or Tyreek Hill fast or some of those guys. But he's got a skill set that catches the ball extremely well, gets every yard that's coming to him. He doesn't have – you know, he turns it upfield and gets positive yards. Yards after catch, which yards this team doesn't catch. do well. And, you, and you know, you, you think two years ago when Cole Beasley was doing that, he'd catch it, turn upfield, d- jump past the marker and dive down and get, take the first. Khalil Shakir gives you a little bit more than that. He's a bigger body, I think, as well. Um, it seems to be a, a smart player when you watch him play. He's got that aura about him. So I think – Shakir is the guy I think I'm most encouraged about who I think is going to be here for a minute uh, since he got drafted last year. I think this is the guy who's got some staying power in the league because of his smarts, because of his skill set, and because of his physical build. I remember talking to Chad Hall about him, the receivers coach for the Bills, back in training camp. And I said to him, I said, there just seems to be a route savvy to his game. And he confirmed that. He's like, yeah, he just kind of knows where to be, especially against zone coverage, things like that. And that's as a rookie, and I think he's one of those guys that can take the year one to year two leap and maybe be a, a regular contributor. I think he could compete for the number three role, of course, not knowing who else is going to be added between now and then. I think he could compete for that, no matter who they bring in. And then I, I think after that, you go to Cook and Hines. Now, Cook and Hines, I think if you ask any fan, they will tell you, we wish we saw more of each of those two guys 
on the offensive side of the ball. Cook, it was kind of a slow burn to get him involved in the offense as the season wore on, but once they gave him the ball more, he did not disappoint. He made plays for this team, like open field plays where he took a simple running play and outraced a linebacker to the end zone. Like he blew the doors off of a Landon Roberts against the Patriots on that 12-yard touchdown run in the red zone. That's all Cook once you get past the line of scrimmage. It's him doing stuff just out of his own natural ability. They have to tap into that more. And Hines as well, it makes them a much faster team out of the backfield and a greater threat. And, you know, we're talking about these safety valve options in the passing game, the easy button throws for Josh. Shakir is one option. Cook and Hines should be two others coming into next year's, you know, season. And I I would say this, Josh would do that more if they were more successful doing it throughout training camp, preseason, all that. You've got to get your quarterback to the point where – he likes doing it. I know I can count on this. And and there's a chance, not all the time, but every once in a while you th- hit that check down and the guy snaps it off for 35 yards instead of a you know a seven-yard gain, right? So uh, Singletary struggled to do that. Cook and Hines are a little bit more gifted to be able to do that, make a short pass into a long game. Yeah. And, um, I, but it's going to take some work and some time to get there. I think it, it's got a better chance to happen if, in fact, Devin Singletary is not back. And knowing he's set to hit the free agent market, if some team pays him even respectable money. I don't know that the Bills can compete for that, nor do I think they should, knowing how tight money is this offseason. That would obviously open the door to Cook and Hines playing a larger role as well in the offensive backfield. Okay, good discussion there. We take the 2022 season for the Bills now and apply it to the numbers game for one Steve Tasker. We will ask Steve where he believes the Bills ranked in their division in a number of statistical categories. As we know, Jets, Dolphins trying to close the gap on the Bills in the AFC East. Steve, are you ready? I'm ready. So it's ranking one to four, right? One, one through four. four. That's right, correct. Here we go. Question number one. Where did the Bills rank in the AFC East in 2022 in sack percentage? I will say, oh, I got to say number one. They were third. Wow, I missed that. Patriots were third in the league in sacks. Jets were 10th. The Bills were 18th. Sack percentage defensively, that is? Yes. Oh, I was going the other way. I thought Miami 22nd. That was my bad. Okay. (laughs) We'll try to rebound here with question two. I stink. Where did the Bills rank in the AFC East in 2022 in rushing? This is offense. I think it's got to be number one. They were first, indeed. Correct. Bills ranked seventh in rushing this season. That's a good rebound. Listen to this. New England, 24th in rushing. Jets in Miami tied for 25th. Now, that's the Jets without Brees Hall for more than half the season, but still. Yeah. Question number three. Where did the Bills rank in the AFC East in 2022 in team quarterback rating? Passer rating, I should say. That's Passer rating. Oh. Team passer rating. The whole team. Oh, team passer rating. Oh, uh, one. They were first by a whisker. That is correct. They just beat out, what, Miami? Yeah, passer rating for the Bills, 95.8. Miami, 95. The key, 
the key to that was the team because you knew Tua wasn't going was in and out of the lineup. You knew New but York Tua was tops in the league in passer right. rating this year. Right, but the but Jets, Tyler Thompson screwed it up. Right, <laughs> right. And then you know the Jets were an atrocity at they that. They were a tire fire. And then Mac Jones and their offense was just they struggled to so, get anything done. So, so here's how the numbers went. As we said, Bills ninety five point eight, Miami ninety five team passer rating, Patriots eighty seven seven, Jets. 75.1. Eesh. Question four. Where did the Bills rank in the AFC East in 2022 in pass defense? Pass defense. Second. They were second. Correct. Jets in front of them. Third rated pass defense in the league. Bills were. Because you figured that. Bills were 15th. The Patriots had so many sacks. The Patriots were 16th. Uh, Miami 27th against the pass. You're kind of learning why Josh Boyer got fired down there. Woo! Question five Where did the Bills rank in the AFC East in 2022 in giveaways? Fourth. Well, no. In terms of number of giveaways. Where did they rank? Number of giveaways? Yeah. They stunk. Man. They gave it away all the time. I was fourth. Well, they would be first because they had the most oh, giveaways. Yeah, first. Yes, that's what you meant, right? Yeah, they okay. would. Yeah, they had the more than anybody. Yes, that is that's correct. That's what I meant. They had 27. The smart ones got to help the dumb ones. Over New there. England and the Jets. Different. New England and the Jets tied for second with 23. The Bills had more giveaways than the Jets and their quarterbacks. That's astonishing. It was it was the one glaring problem with the Bills offense. Miami had 21. They were fourth. How many did the Bills have? 27. Yeah. They were. Listen to this. The only teams in the entire league with more giveaways than the Bills this season. Houston with 28 and Indianapolis with 34. That's it. The fact that the Bills were 13-3 and three with 27 giveaways is astonishing. Bro. Astonishing. The Bills are the team to beat, man. They are hard to beat. And if they don't help you, you can't. Now, here's the thing. The Bills' defense was fourth in the league in takeaways with 27. So the Bills finished even at the end of the year. Only Dallas, San Francisco, and New England had more takeaways than the Bills' defense this year. They they It's complimentary football, no question about it. But, man, I'm telling you, if the Bills turn it over... Half as you know, just half as many times. They, they, they might have might have been a one-loss team. Exactly. That's exactly. You right. know what I mean? Like maybe that they Jets were, game is the only one they legitimately lose. Yeah, that's right. And they go the Jets. The, the Bills did not play well in that first Jets game. Maybe I they will lose give them the that. Cincinnati game if they play the whole thing out in Week 16. Maybe. So maybe okay. They're, so they're maybe a two-loss team. Fifteen and two. Yeah. Just don't turn it over. <laughs> Let's cut that down. For next year. All right, good job in the numbers game, Steve. As we dive into our closing segment, we remind you that we are brought to you by FanDuel, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Download the app today and make every moment more. The app's easy and simple to use with generous promotions offered every day. Safe and secure with the best in-class customer service with your winnings paid out in as little as two hours. It's time for these three things, and these will surround Super Bowl 57. First thing, is Patrick Mahomes' mobility the number one factor that could determine the outcome of the game? 
Yeah, I would say that's the most biggest unknown. Everything else is kind of set in stone. You know how good the pass rush is for Philly. You know how you know Jalen Hurts. You know their defense is really good. You know the Chiefs' uh, offensive line is very good. Um, yeah, I think that's the only that's the great unknown. And he needs to be able to move around. So yeah, I think that is the biggest question going in. Yeah, I mean I. Because it's the biggest unknown. The Chiefs' offensive line might be one of the best that the Eagles have seen this season. So I'm very curious to see what kind of pass pressure the Eagles can generate in in you know affecting Patrick Mahomes. If it's a problem and Mahomes doesn't have enough mobility, I don't know how the Chiefs win the football game. But he's got two weeks, you know, two weeks to heal. So it should be a lot better than it was for him in the AFC title game. You would hope he has enough mobility to play effectively, right. make some plays off script, you know, and execute the offense. Second thing, high-scoring game or low-scoring game between the Chiefs and the Eagles, Steve? And I will tell you that the over-under right now is 49-and-a-half. I think it's going to be under. Low-scoring. Yeah. I tell think- me why, though. Eagles are really good up front, and that's what you got to have playing against a really good quarterback like Mahomes. The Chiefs are better than you might think up front as well. Um, so I think that and Spagnolo is a really good defensive coordinator. They'll have a plan for Jalen Hurts. Uh, A.J. Brown is a problem, no question about it. But I think both of these I think both these teams are going to struggle to score in this game, or at least not struggle, but I don't think they're going to get to 25 to 24 kind of game. I think it's going to be a 23-20. Yeah, I think it's going to be a 23-20 game. The 49 over-under, so you're talking about a game that goes 29 to 20. Um, I think it's going to be a hair under that. Yeah, maybe like 26-23. Yeah, exactly. Be right at the number. Exactly. I could see that. I could. Um, I don't know. There's like some – Knowing that you have some dynamic playmakers in this game, you mentioned A.J. Brown, but there are others. I wonder if there are some big plays to push the number over that line. I'm not saying it will happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does. You know, A.J. Brown makes a play against one of their rookie corners, and, you know, the corner falls down and he goes 65 yards because he's so big, he just knocks the guy over, you know, or there's some kind of bust in a coverage. It's all possible. I just think the way that Mahomes can lengthen plays, Hurts doesn't do that as much. He usually just tucks and runs to stay on the field, you know, with the offense. But knowing Mahomes can buy time like that, if he can move around, I think he can make two or three plays like that that could affect the score. You could also get those tipped passes at the line of scrimmage that turn into interceptions that take points away or give points up too. So it's a lot of unpredictability, and that's when you have good defenses, that's what you get. But it's hard to score against them. Yeah, you kind of answered this already. The third thing: Will the Chiefs have an answer for Jalen Hurts running with the ball because they rarely did for Josh Allen? I think they will. Um, I think teams are starting to tell their defensive ends not to go rush deeper than the quarterback. That shuts everything off for the quarterback. It keeps those inside lanes for him to step up and go side to side from happening. I think the NFC, and we were talking about this a while ago, the NFC has struggled to produce quarterbacks this year. They Nobody played well. Aaron Rodgers didn't play well. Tom Brady didn't play well. Jalen Hurts is the only guy that was consistent. Dak Prescott was good, and then he was – Horrible. He was like a total roller coaster. Uh, Jared Goff played okay in Detroit. They had a pretty good offense. 
but for the and you know Stafford's out, so Kyler Murray's out with Rodgers. Um, yeah, so they the quarterbacks in the entire NFC conference. If you look at their rosters now, are atrocious compared to the AFC. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to play a factor in what how ready the Chiefs are to face a guy like Jalen Hurts. I think they're they have faced five better quarterbacks than Jalen Hurts this season, multiple times. Yeah. So I think the Chiefs will play a lot better against Jalen Hurts than maybe some of the NFC teams they've played. They played Burrow twice. They played Josh Allen once. They played Trevor Lawrence twice. That's right. You know what I mean? Like They, yeah. they played Justin Herbert twice. I mean, they run down the list. The Chiefs' defense has seen, seen top-shelf quarterbacks. So. And Philly has seen, what, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff. Now, they did see Trevor Lawrence, but that was week four of the season when he wasn't the same yeah. guy. Kyler Murray, week five. And Dak twice, of course. Um, in that, But then they saw Justin Fields. Daniel they saw Jones. Daniel Jones, t- Ryan Tannehill. The Saints with Andy Dalton. Yeah, You could argue um, the Chiefs are more battle-tested for this game than the Eagles are. The Eagles really have not faced much adversity this season, which is part of the reason they sailed to a 15-2 and record this year. They, I played, mean, they played Houston, Indianapolis. I mean, <laughs> no wonder they're, you know, yeah, no wonder crazy. they're 14-3. and three. Our closing figure deals with the early odds, which are out on Super Bowl 58, which will be played a year from now. At the top of the board, at plus 550, are the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. They are followed by San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Cincinnati. But Philly and Cincy are at plus 1,000, almost double the payout as the Chiefs or the Bills. What's your reaction to that? Super Bowl 58 odds. Uh, I, j- I think that they look at how you know, I think they're still caught up in the window thing. Yeah, uh, They think it's, it's going to go away. Certainly Cincinnati's going to lose some players to free agency and some key players at that. They've got to sign, and it looks as though they're going to sign Joe Burrow to a massive extension, but they've got lots of cap room. They can get it done. Um, and and I'll say it again. These are not the likelihood that they think these teams will do those things, will go to the Super Bowl. This is the likelihood of people betting on that to happen. Yeah, It's a difference, and it's a subtle difference, but it's real. This is the public perception of how these teams are going to do, and I think people get tired or don't believe a team can keep it going for as long as they did. Uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs fly in the face of that, the five straight AFC championship games, yeah, uh, two Super Bowls in the last three years. And but there's some Super Bowl appearances in yeah, five, right? So it's it's difficult for people to get around the fact that they're just tired of seeing that team and they just think it's somebody else's turn. Yeah, that's a public perception. Not really a football perception. But apparently Vegas is convinced that a lot of people still believe in the Chiefs and the Bills going forward. Otherwise, you would not have double the payout on Cincy and Philadelphia. So uh, Vegas believes that the public thinks the Bills and Chiefs have staying power is basically what I take from that. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I agree the public. And it's the truth. You and I are sitting here, and, and it's easy to over, overreact to the, the the way the season ended in Cincinnati. Even Sean McDermott said, hey, you are your last game. Yeah, you're way – yeah, okay. But the simple fact of the matter is the Bills steamrolled into that last game yeah. on a seven-game winning streak, eight-game winning streak, just like Cincinnati did, and overcame a ton of outside influences to get to that point. Right. They're a, 
they were really good program. They still are, and they're going to continue to be. That'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform so you know when the next episode drops. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time, everybody. 